Hello friends, it's great to be back with you in Bible study again today for this session. Uh, I hope that our times together feed your soul. I know it feeds my soul to be able to spend time studying uh, the Scriptures and then talking about the Scriptures. So I'm so grateful to you uh, for allowing me this, this opportunity. We are continuing in our study of 1 Corinthians, one of the best pictures we have in the New Testament of life in the early Christian community. Corinth is there in the southern part of what we call Greece today. Uh, It was a a very uh, cosmopolitan city in Paul's day. Uh, He took the Christian movement there. He founded the Christian movement there. And then after he founded the Christian movement, he went on to preach elsewhere, uh, in this particular situation, to Ephesus. And while he was in Ephesus, he received some reports from the Christians in Corinth about some of the problems they were having. Many of the problems he had to deal with by correspondence are still problems, uh, challenges in the life of the Christian community today. So we're looking at Paul's uh, answers, Paul's advice to the situations and problems and challenges uh, with which he was confronted from the Christian community in Corinth. The Christian community in Corinth was uh, primarily a Greco-Roman or pagan or Gentile um, community that embraced Christ. There was a Jewish presence in Corinth, but most of the people that uh, came to Christ from Corinth in that Greek city, which was a Roman Roman establishment, but it's a Greek city, uh, were from the uh, Gentile world. So uh, they, of course, brought with them all of their stuff. I know that's not a important theological term, but brought with them all their stuff from their Greco-Roman environment, particularly their ways of doing morality and human sexuality and their views of wisdom and their views of God versus the multiplicity of gods in the Greco-Roman pantheon of gods. They were polytheistic. So Paul's having to deal with a lot of issues. We find ourselves in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Today, in this session, I want to deal with the first seven verses of this chapter uh, because we can divide the chapter up and then finish the chapter in our next session. So uh, let's dig in. I hope you have a Bible in front of you or a mobile device that's allowing you to look at the text of 1 Corinthians. Uh, The text in front of me is uh, the English Standard Version, ESV, English Standard Version of the New Testament, in case you're curious. I find that to be a, a, a pretty good translation. From, from the Greek. So let's delve into chapter 4 of 1 Corinthians. Paul is still, um, he's still having to clarify his positions. He's still clar- having to clarify his position as an apostle. Evidently, after he left Corinth, not only was he confronted with reports from Corinth about some problems in Corinth, He also was confronted with some reports from Corinth about some people who were attacking attacking him, attacking Paul as an apostle, as a teacher, as a preacher of truth. So um, he's having to also talk about um, his role as apostle, and you'll see that here in chapter 4. So let's begin at verse 1, chapter 4. Paul starts off saying, This is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mystery of God. Obviously, we've seen this thus far in 1 Corinthians. uh, The community there was really prone to uh, create Christian 
celebrities. And I'm sure they did that beyond just the Christian movement. And that's why we've already seen in 1 Corinthians that some of them felt an attachment to Peter. Some of them felt an attachment to Apollos. Some of them felt an attachment to Paul. And uh, for whatever reason, they, they were com- competing with each other. And Paul is trying to make it clear that we are not to compete with each other. Uh, the preachers, the teachers, the apostles, the Christian leaders, spiritual leaders, we're all on the same side. We're all needed. Uh, I know that groups sometimes tend to gravitate to their favorite pastor, their favorite preacher, their favorite teacher. All of us have people that have influenced us more than other people have influenced us. But Paul is saying, uh, be, 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 beware of uh, creating a culture of Christian superstars. Uh, you can have the people that influence you well, but please, m- please make sure you understand that this is not a competition. It's not a competition between pastors. We're all working together. Saw an illustration recently where someone had attended a church, and in the bulletin um, there was a there was an insert that said, "If if if you decide our church is not for you, here are some other churches you can check out." And there was literally a list of other surrounding Christian churches that that church would would encourage you to consider if if you found that their particular congregation wasn't yours. This is not about competition. We're all working for the cause of Christ. And that's why Paul's saying here, this is how one should regard us. He's talking about us, spiritual leaders, apostles, teachers, preachers. This is how one should regard us. And then he defines it as, as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Let me say something about those two words there in verse 1. Servants of Christ. This is not the typical Greek word that gets translated slaves or servants, which is doulos. It's a unique word in the Greek that literally means, literally is translated into the English as the under rowers. Under rowers. Think back to perhaps if you've ever seen the old movie from the 1950s, uh, Ben-Hur. And you had those Roman vessels and you had people underneath the main deck who were rowing the ship. They were propelling the vessel. Those would have been the under rowers. Not the people who's captaining the vessel, but the people underneath who are rowing, who are propelling the vessel. So Paul here uses that term. He says, uh, we are servants under rowers of Christ. Because obviously Christ is the captain of the vessel. We're all serving under Christ. He says, we are servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. The word stewards here uh, literally means managers. It comes from a Greek word that means managers. It's, it's a term for someone that would manage an estate on behalf of someone else. Someone who would manage this estate on behalf of the owner. So here Paul is saying, when you look at, when you look at apostles... Preachers, teachers, when you look at spiritual leaders, realize that we are all together. We're just under rowers, servants of Christ. We are just managers um, serving the, the landlord. We're managers serving the owner of the estate. We are stewards, managers, or you can even translate that trustees of the mysteries of God. So together, we're all just dealing with the mysteries of God and trying to proclaim the mysteries of God to whatever age in which we find ourselves. We saw earlier in 1 Corinthians that when Paul talks about the mysteries of God, he's talking about something that was hidden but is now being made known. 
That's what he means by mysteries of God. It's not just something hidden, but it's something that was hidden and now is being made known. And more specifically, it's the gospel of Jesus Christ and all that that entails. Um, now that Jesus Christ has been made known, God's plan from before the foundation of the world has been brought to light in Jesus Christ. This is the mystery of God. It's something that was once hidden, only prophesied about, looked forward to. But now this mystery uh, that was once hidden is being revealed. It's the mysteries of God, but it's something being revealed. And those of us who are spiritual leaders, preachers, teachers, apostles, we are servants and stewards um, at the beckoning uh, under the authority of these mysteries of God that we're trying to proclaim. Verse 2, Paul goes on to say, Moreover, it is required of stewards, or these managers, uh, these trustees, that they be found faithful. So all of us that are leaders in the Christian community, we are, we are called to be found faithful. That's not even necessarily to be found effective or efficient or successful because the world defines those terms in so many different ways. But we're to be found faithful. We're to be found faithful to doing what God has called us to do, whether we're a Paul or an Apollos or a Cephas or a Peter. We are all called to do different things as we are proclaiming the mysteries of God. The glory of the gospel has been unveiled now in Jesus Christ. We're called to be found faithful. That's why we're not competing with each other. We're just called to be found faithful to what our call is. Verse 3, Paul is saying, But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, Paul says, I do not even judge myself. Verse 4, For I am not aware of anything against me, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judged me, judges me. Paul obviously is feeling like he's being judged by a lot of the people there in Corinth, the people who began to talk about Paul after Paul left the city of Corinth and went on to Ephesus. So people there are judging him. Perhaps they're saying he's not as good a preacher as Apollos. Uh, he didn't know Jesus like Peter knew Jesus. Whatever reason, Paul is acknowledging that people are judging him. But I wish... We all could learn what Paul's saying here. I, I wish I could learn what Paul's saying here. He's saying, it is a very small thing to me, Paul says, verse 3, that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. Sometimes our whole life is ran by the way we think other people pass judgment on us and on the way we pass judgment on ourselves. Um, we, we, we allow other people's judgments, or even our own judgments, uh, to determine how we live, to determine the trajectory, the path of our lives. And Paul is saying here rather boldly, and I think Paul probably was being honest at this point, he is saying, he's saying it's a very small thing that you there in Corinth are judging me, or it's a very small thing even if a human court judges me. I, don't, I do not even judge myself. He's getting ready to say that there's really only to be one judge. Now, we all make judgments all day long. We all try to do right. We all try to use our reason and our intellect. Every time I stop at a, at a red light, I'm assuming you're going to be going at your green light. Whenever I decide to go on my green light, I'm passing a judgment that you're going to stop at your red light. So we all have to do that. But he's saying that the ways we judge each other 
uh, the ways that we judge each other from a human perspective, the ways we even judge ourselves from a human perspective, is not really what matters ultimately. It is only the judgment of God that matters. Uh, we want to be able to, to stay right with God, even if we're not right with the people around us, even if we're not meeting everybody else's expectations, even if I'm not meeting my own expectations or my family's expectations, as long as I can lay down and pillow my head at night, feeling that I'm, I'm right with God, that's what matters. That's why Paul goes on to say, he, he, he says, verse 5, Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time. And we are all busy passing judgment on one another, and it's, it's premature. It's always premature. We never have all the information. He says, therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, because that's the time for judgment, when the Lord comes. Before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. There is going to come a point in human history, there's going to come a point in our lives where we will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And that's the judgment that is most important. We need to live our lives in anticipation of that judgment. Not live our lives always trying to conform to the judgments of the people around us. Even the judgments we pass on ourselves. Or the judgments of uh, our family. What people in the past have said about us. Uh, just to give you another text where Paul talks about this again. In Romans chapter 14, he talks about how one day we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. In Romans 14, beginning at verse 10, he says, Why do you pass judgment on your brother or your sister? Or you, why do you despise your brother or your sister? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, and here he's going to quote from um, uh, the prophecy of Isaiah, it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then, Paul says, each of us will give an account of himself to God. That's the judgment that matters. That's what Paul's talking about here in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. And that's why he's talking about when the time will come, when the Lord comes, uh, everything will be brought to light. Even things are hidden in darkness now. And at that judgment, whatever is in our heart, the purposes, the plans of our heart, whatever's in our heart will be brought to light. That's the judgment upon which we need to be focused. And sometimes we totally ignore that judgment that is coming. That our goal is to please God in the way we live. And we spend so much of our energy and effort trying to please other people. Even trying to please what I think uh, needs to be the path of my life. We need, to, we need to do everything we can. Use all the spiritual resources at our, hand, at our hands. Use scripture. Use prayer. Use um, other people in our lives, more mature Christians than we are, to try to, to discern what God's will is for our life. And, and try to fulfill that. But sometimes we can make God rather remote. And the people in our lives who are speaking the loudest, sometimes what they say, sometimes how they evaluate us, uh, becomes much more important to us. And here Paul is being evaluated, obviously, in a very negative way 
from some of the people he left behind in Corinth. Uh, you can even see this as you read 2 Corinthians. Um, the relationship between Paul and the church at Corinth in some ways became very conflicted. Who knows what all was said about Paul after Paul left. Uh, but he's saying, and I think he's being honest. I'm sure he had his moments, but I think he's being honest when he says, I'm trying not to judge myself. I'm trying not to live according to your judgments for me. But I'm trying to live focused on the judgment that is coming. Uh, the judgment when we all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And he's saying that we need to not be in competition with each other. Uh, you need to not judge one another. Uh, we need to show mercy to each other. We need to be long-suffering with each other. We need to be patient with each other. Not be living out of a spirit of competition with each other. Um, Paul evidently feels like the people are saying, you know, Paul's just not as good as Cephas. He's not as good as Apollos. He's not as good as Barnabas. They, they were creating these spiritual celebrities. And they all felt their own close ties to different people. And the longer Paul was away from Corinth, um, the less important Paul was to them. And he was the one who first took the faith to them. But he's saying, um, I'm sure it's hurt him. We see that in 1 St. Corinthians. It, it did hurt him. But he's saying, I'm trying to stay focused on the judgment that's most important. That's God's judgment of my life. Let's go on to verse 6, and we'll wrap up uh, the text for today with verses 6 and 7. Uh, in the ESV translation, this becomes a new uh, paragraph. And this is what he says. But he's still talking about the issue of, um, of apostles. He's still talking about the issue of how we need each other. He's still talking about the issue, uh, as he said earlier, how he planted, Apollo watered, and God gave the increase. How we all use our different graces and gifts to do the work of God. That um, all of us are needed because all of us have different things to offer to people. No one person is a complete package. So he's, he's going to return to that here in verse 6 when he says, I have applied all of these things to myself and Apollos. Evidently, that was one of the people that they were comparing him to. And Apollos, we looked at that in the last session, I believe. We looked at Apollos from the book of Acts. He was a brilliant person, a brilliant Jew from Alexandria, well-versed in the Greco-Roman culture. He knew scriptures. He could preach. He could teach. And evidently, after he came along, Paul just faded in the background and people started attacking Paul because he didn't, he didn't rise to Apollos' standards. And that's why Paul here is saying, I have applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers and sisters, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written. Interesting phrase, we'll talk about it. That you may not go beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against another. What he's talking about here when he makes reference to we shouldn't go beyond what is written, um, and we've tried to think about that for 2,000 years now to wonder what Paul's talking about. Most of us assume at this point he's talking about that which is written, what we would call the Bible, what he would call, of course, in his day, the Old Testament. Paul didn't have the New Testament yet. He, it was in the process of being created. So you've already seen here in 1 Corinthians how Paul has frequently already quoted from his Bible. He quoted from Isaiah. He's quoted from Isaiah multiple times, actually, up, up to this point in 1 Corinthians. He's, he's quoted uh, from the Psalms at this point. He's quoted from maybe the book of Job at this point. So he's quoting the Bible, which for him would have been the Old Testament. It's the only Bible the early Christian community had before this, the, these documents that became sacred scripture. So he's saying, don't go beyond what is written. 
Now, again, the Bible is the Bible. The Word of God is the Word of God. Truth is truth. But sometimes it's easy for us to compare the people who bring that truth to us as if one person has more truth than another person. Uh, he's, he's trying to call the church at Corinth back to the Word. And that whether it's Apollo, Apollos, or whether it's Paul, or whether it's Peter, when they bring truth, they're just bringing the revealed truth of God to these people. So it doesn't originate with any of them. None of them, none of us can take credit for this truth that we're bringing. We all, we all have our own gifts that allow us to present the truth in a certain way. But at the end of the day, it's not our truth. It's not our gospel. It's what God has given us. And that's why he's saying, don't go beyond what is written. You know, there's no Christian teacher out there that can bring you more of Jesus than any other Christian teacher. Uh, it's been revealed to us. It's all been revealed to us. It's all very public. We're just now trying to, to, to learn what is written, to learn the revelation for us. And that's what he's saying when he says, I have applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers and sisters, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up, become arrogant, as he's saying, in favor of one against another. No Christian teacher, preacher, leader, apostle should ever become arrogant because it's never my ministry. It's never my church. It's God's ministry through us. It's God's church that we've been allowed graciously to serve. So whenever arrogance starts coming into the equation, we're setting ourselves up for great spiritual danger. Probably the greatest of all spiritual virtues, and the church has said this quite a bit in the last couple thousand years, probably the greatest of all spiritual virtues is humility. Without humility, we can't receive anything else from God. If we, are, if we think we're the complete package, then we have no room to receive anything else from God. If our hands are too full of our own stuff, our hands aren't empty enough to receive from God. So it takes humility to receive the gifts of God. So that's why in a lot of ways, humility is the primary, primary virtue that allows you to receive the other virtues from God. Uh, some of us, um, I'm one of those, have been heavily influenced by an ancient document called the Order of St. Benedict. It's a 6th century document written by um, Christian, a Christian in the 6th century uh, about practical Christian living. And in that document, it's mostly just, in a lot of ways, it's mostly just the, the um, quotation of Scripture, but it's a quotation of Scripture which, with some teaching spread in, throughout the quotation of Scripture. But in that ancient Christian doc, document from the 6th century, the rule of St. Benedict about living the spiritual life, the longest chapter in that rule is the chapter on humility. So we got to be vigilant about trying to grow in humility and about watching a spirit of conceit or watching a spirit of arrogance or as Paul refers to it here, that spirit that causes you to be puffed up in favor of one against another. Uh, what I've mentioned a couple times about the church in Corinth, they were a very spiritually gifted congregation. Signs and wonders are much in evidence in Corinth, but the fruit of the spirit Love, patience, peace, uh, joy, long-suffering, the fruit of the Spirit is lacking. They're operating their gifts without the love that's necessary. And they're operating their gifts with arrogance. And Paul is cautioning 
them here about being puffed up. Verse 7, and we'll, we'll conclude with this for the week. Verse 7, for who sees anything different in you? These are a series of rhetorical questions. And when they're rhetorical questions, because you know the implied answer. When Paul says, for who sees anything different in you? The answer should be none. We're all basically the same. Then he asks another rhetorical question. What do you have that you did not receive? Well, again, the answer's Nothing. Everything we have has been given to us as a gift from God. Everything about our personality, our nature, our talents has been given to us as a gift from God. And then, and then one last rhetorical question to close up this text. Paul says to them, if then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Again, <laughs> you shouldn't be boasting because it was given to you as a gift. You know, we didn't invent this gospel. We didn't invent the path. Uh, to God through Jesus Christ. I, I know of a famous preacher that I heard say years ago that he was a famous, well-acclaimed preacher, had, had much uh, fruitfulness in his ministry. And when he um, was called to preach in a particular church, when he would go to preach in that church every Sunday morning, if it was a Sunday, as he was going to that church, he'd be saying to himself, this church had the Bible before I came. This church had the Holy Spirit before I came. This church knew Jesus before I came. He went through a process like that because that helped him keep things in a proper perspective. Uh, we're not complete packages. We didn't originate any of this. We're, we shouldn't be coming up with original thoughts about the Christian faith. We're not offering any new enlightenment of the Christian faith. We're just proclaiming what we have received. We're just offering what's been passed down to us. And that's why Paul is trying to help the uh, people in Corinth. And sometimes it appears as if some people came behind Paul who thought they were the super apostles um, and that somehow they were deeper and more, more profound than Paul was. And Paul's trying to say, you know, beware of these super apostles that came in behind me. That uh, we are all really equal before God. We all have gifts and grace that we have received. And we all are needed and necessary in the body of Christ. So beware of, of making your celebrities as if... Um, you know, what one spiritual teacher is so, so much more than any other. Uh, we also know, by the way, that's one of the things that creates cults in, in, the, in the religious world is when people start seeing one person as having so much more truth than someone else and they end up with a very out-of-balanced relationship with that person. And Paul here is trying to help the church at Corinth stay in balance to realize that we're not in competition with each other. Uh, that we're all in this together, and that everything that's accomplished is accomplished because of the Holy Spirit, the power of God working through us. So this is probably a great place to stop for this week, and then we can finish up chapter 4 next week. Um, and again, thank you for this time. I, 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 I am so anxious to one day get back with you face-to-face. I'm so grateful for those of you that listen to the podcast, and for a lot of people, this is the way, uh, the easiest way for them to participate with us, and I'm so grateful for technology. Thank you for taking time to listen to the podcast, but I do miss seeing you face-to-face -face during this um, 
global pandemic, and I'm looking forward to the time when I can see you face to face. I always find it very um, encouraging to me and helpful to me when I can look at people's faces as I'm teaching or preaching. Um, I don't quite have that um, benefit right now, but thank you for joining us on this time. Thank you for subscribing to our podcast, and thank you for all the ways you're staying connected uh, during this unique age in which we find ourselves. Now, friends, go in peace. Thank you for your serious commitment to the study of God's Word.